Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we're continuing our tour through Agile Conversations, our new book released this month, this past month. And we're up to the fear conversation. That's when I enjoy, I remember enjoying writing some of the stories. <laughs> yeah, and fear is really important. In fact, it's so uh, foundational, you know, we're talking about it, that really we could, I consider this the original sin of unproductive conversations. In a sense, it's kind of the root uh, of why our conversations so often go astray. Hmm. In the chapter, we, we, we talk about several tools, and um, as we did before, we'll link to uh, in the show notes to where we've covered this before. So we talk about normalization of deviance, uh, and we'll talk about coherence busting um, as useful uh, ideas about how to get past the fear. And also, we introduce one that we've never talked about uh, on the podcast, which is the fear chart. But we're so, not going to do that again today. So yeah, you know, have to read the book to get that one. That's right. So we're not we're not doing that at the moment. Um, but we did want to talk about today is sort of the role that fear plays, and uh, we will talk a little bit something from the book, which is we kind of open this by talking about the roots in uh, sort of evolutionary biology or evolutionary psychology uh, of why fear kind of ends up being our default feeling. Can you tell us about that, Squirrel? Sure. Well, um, what we do is we imagine a story, and this is, I believe, backed up by actual studies that people have actually done of, of how fear evolved. Why, why do we even have this emotion? What, what's it there for? And our, our story is about two people of uh, indeterminate ancestry. They're, they're from long, long ago, probably living in a cave somewhere, and they have to hunt for their food, and they go out to hunt for food one day, the two of them, and they hear uh, loud sounds in the forest that uh, are, are different from the, the rabbits that they normally hunt. And they, they have two very different reactions. And you can imagine, as, as I tell you about these reactions, what would happen next. So, so one of them says, aha, that could be a deer or a moose or something. We could, we could eat for weeks. And that person walks forward and gets all ready to attack this large animal. And the other one says, oh, that could be a bear or a lion and, and goes and <laughs> runs up the nearest tree. And the, the thing is, the, the, lots of different things could happen, but all of us are descended from the second person because the first person, <laughs> although might have found five or 10 or 100 deer, eventually found a bear right. and that did not end very well. And the other person lived 100 out of 100 times, right? That right. person always managed to stay in the tree for a bit and go find some rabbits and then have lots of babies. And that's why we're all here. <laughs> now, I'm certainly no biologist, but it certainly seems to me that that's, uh, that's how it is that we got to fear and, and why we are hardwired to start with fear. Uh, it, it's not that you uh, think to yourself, uh, how could this be a wonderful opportunity? How could this um, uh, sudden shift in our working patterns, for example, be a, a source of innovation and new ideas and um, something uh, some, some way for us to be more successful. You think, my gosh, I could get a terrible disease. I need to um, uh, shut down my whole business. Um, we, we, we can't continue. And those are, those are two very uh, similar reactions to the, the two cave people I described. But uh, in the modern world, the uh, it could be a deer response is actually much more frequently the productive one, but it's not what we're hardwired to do. That, that's right. And it, and so we, we have now this sort of 
um, background. And this idea of fear and uh, shows up in a bunch of cognitive biases where we end up um, having, for example, things like negativity bias, where we weigh things that are negative uh, more strongly than things that are positive, even, even though, as you say, the risk rewards of uh, modern life are very different than our ancestral one. Um, we're, uh, when we mistake an opportunity these days, it's unlikely to uh, be a bear. <laughs> I, I know it, very few agile teams that have been eaten by animals. <laughs> That's right. Um, but they often are, are missing other opportunities uh, that come by, and very often because of fear. And I think this is especially true for conversations. And you and I have, have noticed, and we've talked about this many times in, in many uh, instances, that there's this weird discrepancy between the fact that what people know is the right thing to do, uh, what, what Chris Argerus called um, you know, people's espoused theory is to productive conversations, all the values that we try to teach people about on uh, this uh, podcast and in our book, uh, when we ask people, do you agree with these things? They always agree. Yeah, and those are things like, um, should we get everybody's opinion? Should you share your opinion? Um, should we consider them all equally? Should we search for information we don't have? Um, should we um, get a, a, a common view on how to proceed and then make a decision and proceed with it? All of those are universally endorsed. People nod. <laughs> That's right. Well, and more than that, because often in, at the start of our workshops, we, we don't just, we don't lay these out and say, you know, do you choose, you know, the, the good column or the bad column? Mm -hmm. <laughs> should, should we share information or should we hide it? Uh, and then ask people to choose. In fact, we we often give people a quiz up front. We, we make this claim. We say, we, you know what to do. You know what would be a productive conversation. You know how to make good decisions. And we test people. We say, you know, here's the scenario. What would you do if it was up to you to decide how we make our decision? People lay out a, a process where they say, oh, we, you know, we should be transparent and curious. We should share information, use that to make the best decision. Great. Everyone knows that. But then there's this weird thing. Well, why don't they? Why so predictably do people not do the thing that they know they should do? And to me, it really comes back to this uh, fear. And uh, Chris Argerus, he, he later he, he talked about, um, uh, he used the phrase defensive reasoning. And he basically said people move into this model, uh, one unilateral control model, um, defensive reasoning mindset, when there's the potential for a threat or embarrassment. And he's really explicitly pointing out there the fear. The bear is coming, so we better all do the same thing, do it my way. Uh, we don't want to be uh, uh, to, to, to let the bear in, so we're, we're going to act in this very different way that might or may not be adaptive in the case of a bear attacking us, but isn't adaptive in, in most of the modern knowledge work situations. That's right. And, and it, so people end up having this sort of um, split then between what their espoused theory and their theory in use, what they actually do. And it's sort of, it's sort of like um, they, they have this uh, mistaken image of themselves in their mind. They see themselves as the person who, uh, yes, I, I believe all these things. I believe we can be transparent and curious and we should hash these things out and make the best decision and not be attached uh, with our ego to our own ideas, but really seek the best of the project. Uh, and, and that's what we do, except for a few exceptions. There's just a few cases where we don't do that. Exactly. That's what we do most of the time. Exactly. And so they acknowledge their exceptions uh, when it's the, you know when it's the right thing, but they don't realize that that those exceptions become the norm. They're like that's all the time. It's we, like the analogy with a diet is someone says, "Oh, I, I always eat healthy and I I skip any snacks, you know, like cookies and cakes and things like that," uh, except in special occasions. 
And you say, well, what, well, like what kind of special occasions? And it's basically okay. when, the, when there are cookies, when there are cookies, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cookies, cookies are special. We don't normally have cookies. So there's cookies. That's this. And that's, I can make that case. And it's sort of like that. Well, we, we do these, these behaviors of, of sharing and open discussion, except when there's fear and then not being aware. Well, there's always fear there. Uh, there's, there's exceptional cases where people have managed to overcome their fears. And, um, and, but then there's all these other cases, which are just the norm where they have a justification of, yeah, I was uncomfortable. I was afraid of how they might feel. I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Cause importantly, in what our jurist says, the potential for a threat and embarrassment, it's not always to ourselves. It could be to other people as well. I don't want them to feel bad. Um, and therefore I'm going to control how I say, I'm an, uh, what, how I, how I speak. I'm going to, um, make sure I weigh my words carefully so that they can kind of get the message, but no one feels bad. And uh, then we allow, uh, um, bad communication to, to, uh, happen because we're, we're valuing, um, the people's, uh, feelings and our, in our own and avoiding embarrassment and avoiding threat more than we're valuing actually working through and getting the best decision. But there's, there's a way you can use this prevalence of fear as a, a kind of useful prompt. And I've, I've heard you describe this many times. I've passed it along this idea that, um, uh, if you're if you're not sure where to start, you can use the the fact that you're probably uh, fearful to to get yourself started. Yeah, that, that's a great point. That's something that came out of um, we were doing very regular um, weekly sessions and bringing case studies and um, trying to uh, come up with you know looking back at things that have been unproductive or maybe uh, eventually we got to a good decision, but it took a long time. And when we looked and examined the conversations and say, how could we improve them? We found that it was, it was this rule of thumb that if the first response in these frustrating conversations had started with the words, I'm afraid, and then you just say whatever it was, you can kind of see what comes next. And, and it's, uh, it's a really useful tool if because we're unaware of these fears. It's, they're so ingrained um, that they become invisible to us. It's like the, the, the water that we swim in. Uh, we swim in the ocean of fear and we're not aware of the fact. It's just, it's just normal. When we prompt people and just say, okay, well, why don't you just start with the word, I'm afraid, and see what comes out, that actually they would sort of discover themselves. Well, actually, yeah, I was, uh, I'm afraid that um, you might be upset or I'm, I'm afraid that if we make this decision, this other bad effect will happen. And they end up actually being uh, more transparent, they start sharing their reasoning about why they were so attached to a particular position. I, you know, I was, I was strong, uh, arguing strongly for X, and it's because there's these fears that I have that I had never actually spoken. And it was, it's, and it's exactly this undiscussed nature of the fear that gives it its power. And the, the technique we try to get to people is, you know, it's, it's fine to have the fear. That fear is very useful. It, it is, it, there is something there. Sometimes and, there's a bear and you do need to run away. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, um, and, and in fact, you and I were, were just discussing and you, you talked about at KitCon uh, over the weekend that um, you've had uh, cases and people you've dealt with that were effectively, you know, kind of bears in a sense. Yeah. There's people, uh, just a very few, maybe two who, uh, after I was curious, after I learned more about what was motivating them, after I was transparent about what didn't work for me, I discovered that they weren't people I wanted to work with. So I, I ran away. 
but the and so the fear was very useful. I had a fear of uh, their reactions, and their reactions were in fact very negative and manipulative and, and otherwise unpleasant. But that's two out of a career of 20, 25 years. Uh, and so you're talking about hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people. <laughs> most of the time, when I was fearful, it was not founded. Most of the time, it was a deer, not a bear. And um, I still found the um, fear very useful. It did warn me in the, in the small number of cases that were uh, actually damaging. Um, and I had wished that I'd been more curious, in fact, rather than less. And had found out and verified sooner uh, what the actual situation was. Uh, but the vast majority of the time, I would have benefited much more from um, uh, sharing the fear, describing the fear to the other person, being transparent about it, and being curious about its source. It turned out not to be founded. And and so I think this is this is the the areas that people often are in these relationships uh, at work and and other parts of their lives where there's kind of this they're in this fog where it's it, they have this fear as kind of a background thing but they never do the work to decide is this a bear or a deer is this you know is is there really something to be afraid of at, and that's a, a real potential but let's let's dispel the uncertainty let's try to get past that to to find out. Uh, whether there's really something to be afraid of here. And a good way to start with that is, is to start with those, those elements that are exactly the ones you're avoiding. And and this is something that also came up at, at KitCon. We were in one uh, session um, discussing, it was framed as how do we, we have uh, manage the expectations of stakeholders who are not present, you know, no, mm. senior stakeholders who are too far away that we don't get to talk about. And so this is very clearly a situation where there was fear. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't say, I'm afraid. It said instead, how do we manage expectations correctly? Mm -hmm. and, um, and uh, it was interesting because one of the elements that came up was this idea of the intermediate stakeholders, the ones we can talk to, have to talk to those distant people. Really what we want is for them to be braver. <laughs> we, we, want, we want them to be willing to, to deliver bad news. And when I asked, well, what's your relationship with the immunity stakeholder? I was told, oh, it's good. And it was described as being very comfortable. Which is precisely the problem. Exactly. That they were effortlessly having a comfortable relationship um, using defensive reasoning by sharing the elements of conflict rather than uh, being productive and saying, well, look, we have this fear about what's going to happen. Uh, what do you think of our fear? What are your fears? What is there a reason that you're not passing this information on, or you're not sharing it the way we are? Talking things out, uh, uh, and um, as a result, there was kind of this element, this thing that's happening, which I would usually describe as green shifting, which is um, a, 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 something we have talked about in the podcast before. So I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But it's this idea that uh, we have an internal fear that's very strong. We communicate it to our the, the first person in the chain in a sort of weakened form. They may communicate it, but it's in a likewise weakened form until you get to this distant person who's hearing actually a very positive message that's very different than what our internal fear is. And there are lots of stories of this uh, leading to disastrous results. The most famous one, of course, being the Challenger space shuttle, which we also tell the story of in this in this chapter, where um, engineers on the ground were pretty sure that uh, it was not going to handle cold weather very well. And uh, people who are actually making the launch decision were uh, hearing very positive, um, uh, obfuscated views, which led them to think, oh, it'll be fine. It's been fine many times before, therefore it will be fine again. 
And that's precisely the kind of disaster. Perhaps not yours won't be as bad as an exploding spaceship, but uh, it can be just as devastating for uh, careers and businesses. When that's right. you green shift and and by an, in an attempt to hide your fear and an attempt to keep your relationship comfortable, you, you don't share the information that uh, that is embarrassing or threatening. That's right. And so that's that's kind of the, the, the what this chapter four is about is about fear. And then um, the idea that we're not telling you to not be afraid, but we are telling you is how to use it usefully. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of information content in your fears and learning how to how to bring them out into the open. Yet you discover that um, to use a phrase that I've, I've come across through um, therapy, people talk about this with anxiety, that the monster has no teeth. That, and um, when you expose it to the light, when you, when, you, when you bring it out and make it discussable, you actually can get a lot of value and benefit from it. And that's what the uh, chapter is about. And we give you some tools and techniques for how to do that. Fantastic. Well, if you're afraid, we'd sure like to hear from you. If you're trying to use it productively, we'd like to hear that. If you're green shifting, any of those things would be interesting to hear about. We like talking to our listeners and uh, hearing their stories. Uh, you can get in touch with us at conversationaltransformation.com. There's links and so on in the show notes that you can have a look at. Um, I'm experimenting with live activities, with live office hours. Um, we're in a whole bunch of different events. We were just going through our schedule. So uh, have a look at conversationaltransformation.com, see some of the events and things that we're coming to. And there are many chances to interact with us. In, well, not quite in person, but at least virtually um, in, in these times. Uh, also, of course, we uh, come to you every Wednesday, so we'd sure like it if you click any kind of subscribe button that you might have so that you can hear us again as we continue through the next few chapters of Agile Conversations. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.